Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel, which we have been in for a long time now. A lot of time on those verses 9 through 13. As we've looked at what has been dubbed the Lord's Prayer. And as we've studied that together fairly in depth, phrase by phrase. As a matter of fact, uh, Scott came into my office uh, Thursday and he said, are you really going to cover this much material on Sunday? And I thought he was shocked that I was covering five verses, 19 through 24, because I'd been doing a verse or a half a verse and breaking it down. And then I got the bulletin yesterday and was reading along, and I see that I hit a typo when I put it in. I put 34. So I guess he would have been shocked. That was about 15 verses instead of uh, five. So anyway, it's not uh, th- through 34. It's only through 24 that we're going to be looking today as we look at uh, But in, in the scheme of things and in relation to the Lord's Prayer, that is a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. And knowing that, I won't guarantee you that we will finish with it today. Uh, we may have to come back to this a little bit because it's an important one. Now, you'll realize that we, we dealt with 14 through 18 when we dealt with the uh, other things prior to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the hypocrisy of, of praying or fasting or giving so that others would see you and the, the whole concept of, uh, of doing those kind of things in private so that the people don't look at you and say, oh, how holy they are because... They do this. They should see your holiness in other ways. Through the fruit of the Spirit that flows through your life. Not through activity or things that you do by way of show. And we saw that and looked at that very carefully. Today, Jesus in this sermon takes a little bit of a change of direction. To some degree, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6 have been talking about personal and private sort of things. Praying and fasting and, and things of that, and giving, things of that nature. Now he deals with something that while it's still private in one dimension, it's also something that is publicly seen. It's something that is, is, is lived out in public, lived out in the world in which we live, because he's going to start talking about treasures and light and eyes and, and even uh, the whole idea of masters and slaves and those sort of things that we don't always have a great grasp of in our day today to understand what Jesus is talking about because our culture is so different. I mean, we live in a day where slavery is still in existence, but not here. We hear about it in the Sudan. We hear about it in other parts of the country. But slavery is something that, for the most part, has been obliterated in the United States. I mean, that was a dark day in our nation's history when we had slavery, but that has been done away with. But Jesus comes along and starts using terminology, talking about you and talking about me and talking about a church and our relationship to one another that uses that master slavery imagery. And if we just kind of pass over that, I think we'll fail to understand really what God's wanting us to learn from this sermon. It's very important. Listen to these words as I read, starting verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And the word for wealth there is the word mammon that is used that we've heard through the years. But it's the idea of, of accumulated stuff selfishly for yourself. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus starts talking about treasure. Starts talking about money. Starts talking about possessions here. Things that are a normal part of our everyday life. Things that we experience one way or another every single day. But he starts out with a very strong statement in verse 19. Do not. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, that is not a good investment, is basically what he's saying here. Now, there's several things I want you to evaluate as we look at this. I want you to understand one of the things, maybe the primary thing, that Jesus is concerned about in this passage, the whole passage I just read, is the whole idea of idols. He doesn't mention idols there. The word idols does not appear in that passage. But in, in concept of what he's talking about, he is concerned about you and I having idols of the heart and idols of the mind and idols of our lives that keep us from knowing God and keep us from being all that God has called us to be. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be over in, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina doing a Bible conference starting on Sunday morning and going through, Sunday, uh, through Wednesday night. And, and the, the theme of that Bible conference is the eclipse of God. And I, I've got a slide that I'll start out with on Sunday morning with that title and just a total solar eclipse. And you'll see a, a little ring around it. And you realize the earth is dark because of the eclipse that's taking place. And, and I'll ask them the question, when the eclipse takes place, how much power does the sun lose? And of course the answer is none. The sun is still burning ferociously and hotter than we can ever imagine. The, the sun is still a powerful force in the sky. Just for a brief time, though, something, in this case the moon, has come between us and the sun at such a, 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 a distance and just the right angle, whereas the, the moon blocks out the sun and makes the sun look powerless. The thing Jesus is concerned about in this life, in this passage, is that in our life, we allow things to eclipse God. We allow things to get in between us and Him, and us and His will, and us and His purpose. We, we see an eclipse of God. Now, God does not lose any power, does not lose any authority, does not lose any strength whatsoever, but it appears that He's, he's not quite as, as we want Him to be. He appears to be less powerful. He appears to be less important. You, you've had that happen. You've spent times in your spiritual life where you said, I pray and I pray and I, I just don't sense that God is hearing me. I pray and I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, I, I need a word from you. I need something to understand for, about this situation. And it just seems like God's not there. 
or you see a circumstance that you want God to really work in and you want to tell Him, again we go back to the Lord's Prayer and the foolishness of this, but you want to tell Him how to operate in that situation and you say, Lord, why are you not doing what I've asked you to do? God must not be powerful. All of those things are a misunderstanding of who God is to begin with, but they're usually there because we have allowed something to eclipse God in our life. We've allowed something to block out the vision. We've allowed our eyes spiritually to become darkened, and we fail to see what he's saying. And generally those things are idols. And you could also put an equal sign there beside idols. You could say those are idols, and that equals sin. Typically, it's sin in our life. I'm always amazed at people when they're going through difficult times, and I say, well, why do you think, what do you think's happening here? What do you think's going on? And they love to give a myriad of answers. They'll, oh, well, I'm, I'm sick, you know, and it's just some kind of, some kind of mental thing I'm going on and I'm just sick that's why that's happening or somebody else is doing something to me and somebody else is causing this to happen and they go through all these rigors and usually I'll throw out the question I'll say well let me ask you this could it be that there's sin in your life that's standing between you and God and that's eclipsing God in your life now could it be there's some sin that needs to be repented of nine times out of ten the answer I get is no I don't think so I don't think so. It's not my fault. It's the circumstances fault or it's my sickness fault or it's somebody else's fault. Certainly it's not my fault. Because when we allow things to eclipse the vision of God in our life, when we allow things, idols, sinfulness to get in between us and God, we fail to see the power that is there, the strength that is there, the glory of God that is there. And it happens so often. So Jesus' main concern here in these verses is that we would evaluate what might be idols in our lives, that we would evaluate what might be eclipsing God in our own life. Now, I want you to see in those first three verses, 19 through 21, where he's talking about treasure. Don't store up. Do not store up treasures for yourself, treasures on this earth. I think it's important that we see, first of all, what he is prohibiting, but also what he's not prohibiting. Jesus is not here banning possessions in and of themselves. We know through a preponderance of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, that ownership of possessions, whether it be land or cattle or homes or other possessions, are certainly a legitimate thing. There is no ban here. There's no prohibition to owning stuff. I think we'll find out that what the prohibition is, is allowing stuff to own us. There's no prohibition to owning things and having possessions, but there is a prohibition here that Jesus is saying that those possessions ought not rule your life. Those possessions ought not be the, the magnus cumna in your life, that everything resolves around, revolves around that, and that's the most important thing. But there's no ban here of possessions in and of themselves. I don't even think there's a ban here for what we always call, and put in quotation marks, saving for a rainy day. It's not forbidden here. Nor is life insurance forbidden here. I mean, those are things that are just, we do, we prepare ourselves. Jesus even said in one, one of his parables, he said, uh, how many of you will start, on a, uh, start to build a building and won't first sit down and count the cost to see if you've got enough there to build the building? 
lest you start out, you build the foundation, you get a little bit of a wall up, and you run out of, out of money, out of possession to build it, and, and you can't complete the job. And people look at you and say, oh, what a foolish person you are. I mean, the scripture is clear that, that just owning stuff and saving for stuff and having a reserve for a rainy day is not forbidden. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. You know, another thing I think we need to see here clearly is that Jesus is not telling us to despise the good things that God our Creator has given to us. I mean, God has blessed us with, with many, many things. God has blessed us as a nation and as individuals with a lot of good stuff. And He's not saying now you need to become some kind of monk somewhere and go get rid of all that stuff and just sit around and say, I'll just be miserable the rest of my life. No, God gives us those that we might learn to rejoice in Him. And so Jesus is not saying despise the things God's given you and, and just be miserable. God's given you that for the enjoyment. It all comes back to it's a matter of idols. It's a matter of what is eclipsing God. What is eclipsing His glory? What is eclipsing His power in your life? The word he uses there for treasures, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, carries with it the idea of, of a sort of self-absorbed pleasure that says, I've got more than you've got, or I, I can accumulate more than I'll ever need in a lifetime, but I can accumulate this, and it's all for me, and all for my glory, it is mine, nobody else's. Jesus says, you know... I don't know what it might be. It, it might be your clothes. It might be your, it might be your car. It, it might be your house. But you know, if it's your clothes, a moth can break in. A, a moth can break in. A moth can come in and eat those clothes. Matter of fact, in Jesus' day, one of the real signs of prosperity was the clothes you wore. And the people would wear many times robes and garments that were, were interlaced with where I've got navy blue thread on this navy blue coat. No, they wouldn't do that. They would take literal gold thread and they would lace it through. And that gold thread was very expensive and it showed their, their prosperity. But it also was a place they could keep their treasure close to them. And their clothes were usually made out of wool. And, and if you know anything about clothing and about fabric, I really don't, but I read this, so I'll take it that it's true. Uh, you know that moths love wool. They like to eat it. And so a, a rich man may have his woolen garment woven with his golden thread, and he may look very healthy and very wealthy and very wise, but in a moment's notice, a moth could come in and eat his robe completely, and it'd be gone. Same thing if your treasure's in your car. A little salt on the road during snow season and on your undercarriage for you know it, it starts to rust away. Ask somebody that lives further up north than we do. They really know about that. But, but things that we have, he said, don't put your hope, don't put your trust, don't make it your treasure, things that moth will, can eat, moths can eat and rust can destroy, or that thieves can break in and steal. Most people are concerned about their wealth and their treasures, and so they put them in insured banks, and they don't let it get too big that it won't be covered by the insurance. So they take it to another bank, and they store up their treasures. They buy safe deposit boxes, and they put their treasures in safe deposit boxes. Or if they're really insecure in totality and trust nobody, they dig a hole in their backyard, and they bury it in the ground. 
And then they walk over that yard with, with fear and trembling, perhaps carrying a, a weapon just in case somebody saw them do it and tries to sneak in and steal their treasure. Jesus says, understand this, treasures on this earth are going to be destroyed, period. I don't care how much you take care of them. I don't care how much you protect them. Treasures are going to be destroyed. If they're not destroyed in any other way, they're going to be destroyed to you on the day you die because they're gone. They're of no value. Jesus says you're to concentrate not on storing up treasures for yourselves on earth, but, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because the treasures in heaven are where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves don't break in. And if they can't break in, they certainly can't steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a matter of idols. In our life, we are to have a single treasure. A treasure that is secure. A treasure that is not vulnerable. A treasure that that is in the entrustment and in the care and in the protection of Almighty God. Something we send ahead, if you will. You say, well, tell me how. I got some bank accounts. I'll ship on up there. Well, I'll tell you how in a minute because you don't do it that way. I'm always amazed when I go back and look at the, the revivals of the Old Testament when God really began to work in His people's lives. The first thing that changed was their view of possessions. Anytime there's a revival, look at Ezra and Nehemiah. After the exile, the people came back and the, the temple was in ruins and the wall were in, walls were in disarray and torn down. And they came back and Ezra stood up there in Nehemiah and opened the book in the sight of all the people and he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and they worshipped the Lord their faces to the ground. And the, the Levites began to explain the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, the book of the law of God. And they translating to, to give sense to what they, to, so that they would understand the reading, I mean, in, in this passage, you see the people who have come back, and in many cases, they're not real wealthy, but they've got possessions. And they begin to hear the Word of God. They begin to have the, the idols moved from their eyesight. They begin to see God in all His glory. They begin to hear His Word, and you find then they become very generous in giving for the restoration of the temple. Go back earlier to Solomon's temple or even back to the tabernacle in the wilderness when, when they were building for the glory of God a place for worship and a place for service to Almighty God. The people, when they got their hearts right through the Word of God, they began to say, these treasures are on earth, but I want to send them ahead. And so they gave them to the, to the building of the temple and the building of the tabernacle. And scriptures indicate that was counted to them as treasures in heaven. Because they gave out of their what God had given them. Jesus is simply saying here, you, you, cannot, you cannot simply sit on what you've got. Because if you do that, you're demonstrating one thing. You're showing where your heart really is. You know, some people read that verse 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And, and so you ought to start doing something so you can transfer the, the location of your heart 
That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, where your treasure is right now will indicate where your heart is. Is your treasure on earth? Is it in what you can accumulate for yourself and for your family and, and not worry about anything, not care about anything else? Or is your treasure in heaven? Giving to the glory of God, giving to the work of God, giving to, the, to what God would lead. Now, I've got to tell you, I really believe from what I've seen in almost three years of Grace Baptist Church, there's a lot of treasure here that's in heaven. We've been faithful. We've been, we've been overabundant in so many ways. I talk to four or five pastors a week, and every single one of them talk about how they're just struggling. They're just struggling financially. They may have to lay off a staff member. They may have to cut back on this and cut back on that. And we're ahead of budget. I mean, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to God that he has given us, for the most part, maybe not all of us, I don't know what you give, but in a general sort of way, he has given us a giving heart. We're demonstrating, at least somewhat, where our treasure is, by where our heart is. Our heart is in heaven, concentrated on him. But I find in Scripture, every time there's a significant revival, every time there's a significant movement of God, Possessions start changing. The view of treasure starts changing. You cannot have a revival where God does a mighty work and it not affect the use of money and possessions. Any revival that doesn't do that is what I would call a questionable revival. The second thing, though, Jesus says here, besides his treasures, and, and you can bet we'll come back and look at that later. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. The word lamp there could also be translated lens. It's the lens or the lamp of the body. Then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and again, the word bad could be translated evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Not only will we have a single treasure in order to do away with the idols in our life, we are to have a single vision. The eye of our heart, the eye of our spirit, the eye of our, of our spiritual walk has to be clear. It has to be open. It has to be allowing true light in. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm full of light. I'm full of enlightenment. I have all sorts of understanding. I'm, I'm more enlightened than you are. And many times that enlightenment is really darkness. You know how you know it's darkness? Because it's not in accordance with the Word of God. It's not in accordance with His truth. It's not in accordance with what he says is his will and his purpose. And a lot of people sit around and say, oh, well, I, I have my treasures and I have my life and I'm, I'm enlightened above all other people and I don't need anything. Jesus says when that happens, the darkness or, or the light that is in your body is really darkness and that darkness is dark indeed because you fail to see the true light of Christ. It's an amazing thing he says there. It really is. If your eye is clear, that is if it's cleansed, if it's, if it's clear by the Word of God, and, and the Word of God is what is coming into your life and transforming your life, then your whole body's going to be full of light. But if it's bad, if it lets in things that are impure, if it, if it seeks to find things that are, are contrary to God, it eclipses God in a major way. 
Some people today are caught up in all sorts of things they're letting their eyes see. Job said, I will make a covenant with my eyes. I'll make a covenant with my eyes. That is, I won't look upon things that I ought not look upon. I won't read things that I ought not read. I won't allow things into my mind and into my heart through my eyes that ought to be not there. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. That if you're allowing other stuff besides God's word to enlighten you, then how great is the darkness that fills your life. And then finally, and like I said, we're going to have to come back to some of this. Not only would he single treasure the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory, not only is there to be a single vision looking through the eyes of the scripture and the eyes of the, the will of God, but also there's to be a single master. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and wealth as your single master. Now, I know a lot of people look at that and they say, well, here's the application here. You, you can't have two jobs. What do you mean you can't have two jobs? I know a lot of people have two jobs and do them well. On a job, you have a, a, a supervisor or a boss or an owner of a company, and they say, I expect this many hours out of you. And so you give them that many hours, that's all you owe them. And you can go to another one who'll say, well, I just need 10 hours. You can give them 10 hours, and you can do that. And I imagine in our economic times, there's some of them who got three jobs, and they're doing it quite well. Jesus is not talking about just an employer here. He said you can't serve two masters. He's using the slave-master imagery here for a reason. Paul, in his writings, will over and over again say, For I am a doulos of Jesus Christ. The word doulos is sometimes translated bondservant or, or, or just servant. But the real literal meaning of doulos is, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I am a slave of him. I have been bought by him. I have been redeemed by him. He is my master, and I can have allegiance to no other master. I can't have allegiance to an earthly master because I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my all, and I, I totally and completely belong to him. Now, if you start seeing it in that light, when he says no man can serve two masters, you can't serve Jesus Christ. You can't serve God with all your heart and with all your spirit, and with all that you are, and also try to serve earthly treasures, earthly wealth, earthly mammon. Now again, realize he's not saying you can't own things. He's not saying you can't save up for a rainy day. He's not saying any of that. But what he's saying is you can't let that be the thing that captivates your life. You can't let that be the thing that eclipses God, that gets in between you and God, and then you start serving that master, and you do not serve the true master, the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not serve God if you're only thinking about what can I get? How rich can I be? How much can I amass so that I look important, so that I look wealthy, so that I look like I'm of the upper crust, you know? So it's all about me. Jesus says, don't even try. Because you can't serve God in wealth. You can't serve God in mammon. I, I, I love what 
John Calvin in his, his book that was a, a, a harmony of the four Gospels. He took that and he made a harmony. He said this about this whole passage here. He said, where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Where riches hold dominion in the heart, where they rule, where they are the most important thing, then God has lost his authority in that life. So what are we saying? We're saying Jesus is saying simply here, do an evaluation. Look for the idols in your life. You will, your treasure will either be in heaven or on earth. It can't be in both. Your treasure will be one place or the other. Secondly, he's saying our spiritual life is either full of light or it's full of darkness. And sometimes we think it's full of light when it's really full of darkness. Be sure the word is what is cleansing your mind. Be sure the word is what is filling your eyes and his glory. Thirdly, our, our master will either be God or mammon, either God or earthly goods and possessions. We will, we will serve one or the other. We will not serve both. We can serve one and have some stuff. But if that stuff rules us, he cannot be our Lord. It's just that simple. You know, a lot of people look at the, at the, at the Sermon on the Mount and they say, oh, you know, such a beautiful, easy thing. Jesus is just so... Love and peace there, and, you know, blessed is this and blessed is that. But let me tell you something. Jesus gets into some really hard stuff here. And Jesus says, you've got to examine. You've got to, you've got to, go, you've got to go home. You've got to say, Lord, where is my heart? Where is my treasure? What is really important to me? Is it you and your glory, or have I allowed stuff to eclipse you, to block you out? Maybe it's a partial eclipse. Maybe it's a total eclipse. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this day that your word calls us to some hard thinking. Heart evaluation, some consideration of what are the idols in our lives. Lord, I pray you show us our idols. We all have them. The heart is the, the master idol maker. I pray, Lord, you show us what those are. Father, I pray for your will to be done in our lives and in our life as a church. That, Father, we would, we would seek to obey you and trust you and Walk only with you. Father, I thank you that we can go to your word. Find guidance there that leads us to repentance. Thank you, Father, that you are Lord, that you are God. And though things may eclipse you, they don't affect you. Well, things in our lives may eclipse you just for a moment. They do not obliterate you one iota. Help us know. Help us say. Help us live. You are the living God. 
and there are no other gods. Help us demonstrate that, Lord, here in Somerset and the world beyond. We pray in Jesus' name.